This is Rad Talk with Tracy, the podcast. This is a place where you'll discover what's possible when people impacted by reactive attachment disorder inspire change and build community through sharing their stories and expertise. I'm Tracy Poffenroth Prado, and I'm your host. I'm really glad you're here. And before we get started, if you like the podcast, please click like, share, and write a review. It helps so much. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Rad Talk with Tracy, the podcast. I want you to meet my guest today. She is Amy Brown. Amy is the mom of six, uh, three biological children and three adopted, a nice even split. And uh, she, of course, is a rad mom. Amy is also a writer, a blogger. She has her own uh, podcast called Take Heart for Special Needs Parents. And she and a few other ladies in the special needs world are also working on a book that they're hoping will come out in a year. So keep your eyes out for that. So we're going to talk about a few interesting topics that have been part of Amy's rad experience. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about international adoption versus domestic. We're going to talk about physical disabilities and <laughs> puberty, <laughs> puberty and rad. So Amy, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Great. I'm really looking forward to chatting. You've got a lot going on in your yeah. family. Yeah. yeah. So, um, international, so you've got three biological kids, three adopted, how many are domestic? How many are international? Uh, our three oldest, as you said, are biological kids. And, um, after we, we had a lot of infertility, so we were so blessed to have them. And then we decided to adopt because we wanted to add to our family. So our first two adoptions were transracial and domestic. So both of our girls were adopted as babies. Um, our daughter, uh, Claire Grace, who is now 18, she was our first adoption. And wow. she is the one that she has rad and fetal alcohol. And then our daughter, Ella, is the youngest. And then we disrupted our birth order. And the last child we adopted was our son, Ivan, from Bulgaria. He was 10 years old when we adopted him. So he is really older than the other two adopted children just by a year, but he came and joined our family last. Gotcha. Gotcha. And how old were your biological kids at this time? Like when you were adopting, did I miss that? Um, they were, well, right. Currently I have kids for, ranging from age 29 to 16. So I always say that I was potty training and driver's training at the same time, <laughs> which right there, <laughs> that's crazy. just but crazy. They were, yeah. They were about 11, nine and six when we adopted, uh, our first child and they were teenagers by the time we adopted a bond, the final adoption. So they were older, which yeah. in, in some ways was nice because as we know with rad, there's a lot of behavior and issues and they were not younger than the, right. than the kids with rad. So, you know, they've learned a lot. They have, um, all been to therapy. I don't think a, one of them would whenever somebody comes up to me and says, I think I'm thinking about adopting my kids are like, mom, <laughs> you have to like, give them the true story. And I wow. said, oh. <laughs> yeah, they really, you know, they, they have a lot of, um, passion for what I do too, is just adoptive parents, not being prepared for this. I was just going to say the preparing people preparation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the show is always about rad. Um, I was adopted and I have a completely different experience. So there's a lot of positive adoption mm -hmm, stories definitely. as well. But um, yeah, I think you don't know what is going to happen with your adopted family and kids. And so that preparation is so important. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Would your kids ever adopt, do you think, or has that experience changed them? Or do you well, know? I, I think they would say no right now, but none of them are in the position where uh, they have to they think need, about they have it to make that decision. Right. Um, they would say that it definitely made our family unique. And it, uh, like I said, they, they do not judge other kids. When you see a kid out in public, 
I guess, I guess for them, the main thing is the preparedness. Like we just weren't prepared. Right. We had not one idea that that was a possibility. Right. Talk a little bit about your kiddos, Claire, Grace, Ella, beautiful names and Ivan, is it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about, about all of them. So Claire Grace, uh, we adopted her as a baby and you know, when you get the little form and with adoption that you fill in all the things that you don't think you can handle, or you weren't willing to take. I know that That's, form very well. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a hard form to fill out. Cause you're like, well, I don't know. You just really don't yeah. know the reality of it. Yeah. But what I do remember, uh, the, the thing I do remember, and I learned this in nursing school, cause I'm a nurse is that fetal alcohol. So I, I said, I don't want fetal alcohol. Like I, for some reason, I remembered that. Right. I think I said no to other things. So when, when we adopted Grace, she was our first adopted kid and she just was wired differently. And I couldn't figure out what was going on with her. We found out later she did have, um, fetal alcohol and drug exposure. She also has rad, which I did not know was a thing from a newborn. I had no idea that could be a possibility. So for Grace, her story is behavior that just kept escalating when she was about five she had a seizure and I rushed to the hospital I wasn't I was with my other kids my husband was there and I remember the nurse saying to me pick her up and hold her like she likes to be held and standing there like with this shame washing over me going wait Mm. a minute I don't know how she likes to be held like how can I not know that it was my first like because she was the fourth kid in the family other people, I assumed, you know, I thought I was holding her, but it just occurred to me, wait a minute. She doesn't like to be held. And I hadn't really noticed that before that particular thing. Right. You know how kids just fold onto their parents. She would never do that with us, but she, I noticed her doing it with strangers. So Mm. that was kind of like the first step into trying to figure out what was going on with grace. Right. And, and a moment of where that reality hit, like, I loved what you said about when you're filling out that form that you don't really know the reality of what you're saying no or yes to. And that was a perfect example of when that reality hits. And a lot of, I know a lot of us and listeners are really going to be able to relate to that shocking moment. You're caught off guard and realize in that moment, oh my God, I don't even know, or I haven't held this kid or she doesn't like to be held. Right. And, and, and I think the key in that moment was just me starting on a road of this has to be my fault somehow. Right. Because yeah. other, uh, other bio kids, whether they're bio or adopted, this doesn't matter, but that are right. bonded and attached. So I just thought, okay, I know how to do this. Um, I ha- there's gotta be some key <laughs> that I can put in a lock and unlock this yeah. relationship. And that obviously I think that's normal for us moms, but it's so not productive. I think at times when you keep pointing the finger back at yourself. Yeah. And I'm just picturing you in that moment. And like you say, that shame and people who you don't even know your story yet, but you're having this realization in that moment with other people around you that likely are used to the atypical parenting and raising mm-hmm. and things. And, but you do, yeah, it, it shines that light back on you. And as a parent, you think, what am I doing wrong? Right. Yeah. Right. So, you know, Grace continued to have the typical rad behaviors of, um, you know, we had everything locked up and we had alarms and, you know, suspended from school and lying about our family. And, um, I, I, I always, I laugh about this now. I didn't laugh at the time, but <laughs> she was, um, in daycare and after school, cause I needed a break, you know, she actually was homeschooled for a while. So I put her in daycare after, and I remember going to sit on my back porch and crying because mm. I was feeling guilty that I was so relieved that I put her in daycare, um, in the afternoons. And about day three, I get a phone call. (laughs) She has told the entire staff that my husband locks me in a bathroom and makes me cry. And, and (laughs) trust me, I've been locked myself in a bathroom. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Yep. Me too. Me too. So that was like my first little foray into, okay, I have to go in and explain rad. 
right. which I don't understand actually. Right. And did you and, even know at that time it was rad? Like, did you even know what you were going in to explain? Not really. Mm-hmm. I, it's taken me a lot of years to, and therapy to be yeah. able to go in and go, okay, this is what you're going to see. I know she right. acts, this child acts happy and, oh, she's so well be like, you know, so I think with grace, the, the combination of rad and fetal alcohol syndrome just made, it made it really tough. She actually, we, we, uh, we had as all, I'm sure everybody listening can repeat these same kind of stories. So many getting expelled, getting suspended. Absolutely. There was absolutely no help. Right. And this was about 10 years ago. No help. Absolutely right. not. Um, right. And getting to a really difficult place. Like, what are we going to do? And we yeah. had take, we had taken her to a psychiatrist. There was so much violence. Our pediatrician, the therapist said, oh, I bet they're going to admit her got there like, Oh no, she'll let's just switch your meds and she'll be, she'll be just normal in a week. And I remember right. walking out of that appointment and not speaking for a full 12 hours. I went right home to my bed. My husband's yeah. like, oh, no. <laughs> and then we decided that we had to place her somewhere. So she was placed, um, for about a year and a half, um, when she was about nine or 10, um, she's been in and out of our home for several years. And you asked me, did I understand what was going on with rad with my girls? They were domestic. I didn't have to read one book to adopt them. They were private adoptions. But when we went international, all of a sudden I had all this stuff to read and I'm thinking, wait a minute, why didn't I have to read this before? I read so many things about, um, rad and all kinds of things about that I should have known before I adopted the first time. So that kind of like filled out the picture of what was going on with with Claire Grace. Yeah. Right. And when you say she's not in your home anymore, how did you go about finding coming to that decision and, and finding a place that's also, you know, we talk about, it's hard to get kids admitted. They want to send them home. And it's also just as hard to make a decision that it's not healthy for your child or your family to be together and then finding a place. How are you okay talking about that a little bit? Well, first of all, after that disastrous psych appointment and we came home and I got up early the next day and I thought I was thinking either I have to leave our home with her or some, something we cannot all be in this. Yes. Yeah. And something's got to give. I have been there too. And I think a lot of our listeners yeah. have. Yeah. And then it's the splitting of the family. That's not good either. Anyway. Yeah. Right. And so, and unfortunately there's not a lot of help. I remember talking to no. a, a, a social worker and I said, do you think we could uh, like put her in it? Where could we get help? And she goes, well, he, she's really severe. I don't think like even a therapeutic, like respite foster care would, right. Cause they're not equipped for her. And I'm thinking, if they're trained to do therapeutic, <laughs> how am I supposed to be equipped for this? And that's the we, big question, isn't it? Right. Yeah. It's the big question. And you know, you're not going to get help. You're too stable of a family. It was all those kinds of ridiculous things. So yeah. I remember saying to my husband, okay, something's got to give either. Yeah. I have to leave with her and we're going to have to figure out like hire a nanny to be with like, what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. And so we made the decision and my husband, God love him he was the quarterback. He got on the phone and started (laughs) calling. And I think he was thinking, Amy's going to go over the D because nobody understands this decision unless you have to make it Mm. that I look at it like a wheelchair ramp. If I had a child that couldn't get into my house or couldn't navigate in my house, I would build a ramp. Right. So, so that child could get in and do the things that child needed to do. We, our home was not equipped for the wheelchair ramp, basically. And so her going to therapeutic, you know, our, you know, residential treatment was her, was a way for us to build a ramp for her. We just weren't helping her. We were no. not, we were, and I think admitting that as a parent is, is not even, it's so hard to say, because you is. know, there's always the people that come in and go, well, maybe she just needs more attention. Fish oil, yeah. caplets, <laughs> you know, yeah. you're just like, okay, CBD. Yeah. I know. <laughs> No, I know. I know it is so hard and it goes back to that shame. Yes. Right. That guilt and that shame. Right. Ugh. 
Yeah. You know, Brene Brown says guilt is when you've done something wrong. Shame is when you think you are that something wrong. Yes. I love and that. I was in that shame for so mm-hmm. long. And I remember the first, cause I'm afraid she's going to get there and be good. <laughs> then they're going to think it's all the mom. <laughs> and sometimes that is what happens. Cause right. that's how they function. Mm-hmm. Right. For at least a little while. Right. For a so little while. she has actually been home and then back again, she just has currently, she's not here. She's actually trained. She's been at a place in, in Jamaica actually for, for about a year and a half. Wow. And she's getting ready to transfer back to Florida to like a, not a halfway house, but like a step unit to the next more independence. And I will say that she, her brain developing and getting more mature has helped her with impulse control, but she does have a lot of parameters on her life. And the fear of the future is what happens when those are all gone. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's always my fear. But that initial sending her and feeling like I was going to be, well, I was judged. People didn't understand it. They just, no, they just don't understand it. And you have to get a little bit tougher skin than I had initially. <laughs> right, You do, you do, because not, not everybody, if anybody are going to understand. Yeah. But you just mm-hmm. have to soldier on and do what is right and step out of that that blame and shame and do what's right. And so is that going to be the pattern for you visits home and then, but really functioning and living her life more independently in these other facility places. Yeah. Right. I feel like for the sake of the rest of the family, I I mean, we want to have a relationship with her, but for her to live here, not going to work. Not going to work. No, Um, no, no, no. And how is it going? Like, is that a positive for all of you or your visits? happy? Are they, do you struggle? I think initially when she first went, I struggled because I had so, I didn't realize it so much PTSD, but I was so afraid to let my guard down with her. Yeah. I remember the first time this was years ago that went to visit, she was in Montana and I thought, okay, I'm going to see her. And even hearing her voice for a while was really hard. I, I said to the lady at the front desk at the hotel, okay, um, I need to go for a walk or a run. She goes, honey, there are grizzly bears. And I'm thinking, okay, <laughs> my one coping skill, right? <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs> but, um, oh my gosh. It's gotten better. I think one of the things that's helped it get better for me is to take myself off the hook and go, yeah. it's okay to say, this is what this relationship is. Yeah. And not always feel like I had to have this it's going to get all the way better kind of thing. Mm-mm. So, you know, we've been really honest with her about, we love you. We support you. You're not coming to live here. It won't right. happen. Right. And that helped a lot for me to be able to say that. Yeah. And it, a big part of it is that mindset shift and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. And just, and again, back to your, I love, I think I'm stuck on your reality <laughs> comment. I'm just thinking about the reality of even coming to terms with, you know, I think we get in this, we get in this role as a parent and then a rad parent of trying to fix and make better. And Mm -hmm. it's all up to us. And how are we going to do this and help the child? And that sometimes we go so far down that rabbit hole that to just pull away. And, you know, we've talked about it in with other rad moms and on other podcasts, just about that almost disengaging and stepping Mm -hmm. back and realizing, okay, wait a minute, my role as a mom and a parent isn't going to look like what it does for everybody else. And it's Mm -hmm. hard to be different because most of the other parents around us aren't like us. So we don't have anybody standing with us. But that importance of, yeah, just coming to terms with your own reality of what your family looks like, what you are going to be and do as a parent, that's a huge, very freeing moment. My friends would say to me, look at your other kids, look how attached they are. And then you have, I had a friend one time, I was on the phone with Claire Grace and I have a kind of no nonsense voice with her. And when I got off, she said, oh. I don't like that, Amy. I want the other Amy. And I I said, I don't want to have to be this Amy. That's it. This is the Amy I have to be. Yeah. And sorry, I can't like, right. And I remember thinking at the time, I'm not going to feel bad about that comment. Yeah. Because for your friend doesn't have any idea what is required to protect myself. 
Yeah. And, and if you could be that other Amy and you've tried to be that other Amy, Mm -hmm. but that's the thing is you can't, and that's not what your daughter needs. That other Amy doesn't work. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So we know about Claire Grace and you mentioned when we were talking before the interview about there were some differences with your experiences. And I know you mentioned that you read a lot more with the international adoption, but what, what are those differences? You've had both experiences. Well, first of all, when Yvonne came into our family, he was 10 years old. He'd lived in a Bulgarian orphanage, which is just what you'd imagine. Cold, never had parents, but he was also physically disabled. Um, he has something called arthrogryposis. It is, it kind of looks like polio would have looked. It's small joint and a small muscle wasting. Um, he has a pretty... Um, significant altered gait. He can't, you know, you, you see him, he's short statured, very skinny legs and arms, um, can't bend his arms well. So it's obvious he's physically disabled. He's also hearing impaired. So he, he's almost, you know, 75% deaf. He can speak because I think it was a progressive thing. So he wears hearing aids. So I knew going in like, okay, this kid has not had a parent or been held for 10 years, mm-hmm. he, he went through so many surgeries on his, like, he's going to have some attachment issues. I kind of knew that going in, Okay, but I think the thing that was different was, well, a couple things. Number one, because he's physically disabled, there was a lot more grace in, in public and in school ah. for his behavior mm-hmm. world of difference. I mean, a world of difference with grace, Claire grace, I would go in and I would just, she needs this at school. She needs this. And the answer was always, well, what's going on in your home? Let's make you act this way. Yeah. Always, always, always. And with Yvonne, I just was, you know, going in battled thinking nobody's going to listen to me. And I just, they were falling over themselves to help me with him. Complete opposite, complete opposite. So that is, that was huge. And so I would I would have to go in and say, no, he, you know, when he would do something at school and he got suspended, I, I feel like I'm so not, I'm so not faced by a suspension. <laughs> like, okay, what was it today? I know we started getting phone calls for our son. The first day of kindergarten, <laughs> you learn quick, right. And you get used to it over the years. Yeah. Right. I'm and with you. I'm they with can you. be so charming. I remember mm. he did something at school. I don't remember what it was this time. And the principal's like, but he said he didn't do it. And I come in, I'm like, he is lying. Really? Yeah, he's lying. <laughs> Just yes. trust me on this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but also the other thing I think that was helpful is that I had some street cred by this point. I mean, I had <laughs> a lot of knowledge. Yeah. And I was a lot more confident. Yes. You had that thick skin and the confidence. Huge. So I would go in and sounding, you know, very educated. And yep. but I didn't know that with Claire Grace. I just, I just, I was trying to figure it all out. And I had this assumption, well, everyone, once they hear she has a, this disability, they're just going to be like open her with open arms and want to understand and try and yeah. help out. No. Yeah. So yeah. there's really, I, I think the other thing that was different this time around on a personal level, I was more confident, but personally, I don't think I had dealt with the trauma of the violence of Claire Grace towards me. Mm. So I was, it's like when you have a bruise and you touch it and you kind of like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. that's how I was with Yvonne. I, I think I had, cons- I had consistently gone to therapy, Yeah, but I just thought, okay, I've done this before. I can do it yeah. again, but I hadn't dealt with that piece of it in my own. You know, and I was just posting about grief and loss. That's a huge piece of adoption and basically how it Mm -hmm. starts. Right. And I had an experience too with grieving. There's really no, there's no talk about it. There's no Mm -hmm. acknowledgement of it. And then there's no process for it for anybody Mm -hmm. in that triad, whether it's the biological mom, the adoptive parent or the child. Did you know that Rad Talk with Tracy is not just a podcast? We offer one-of-a-kind support services for parents, including supportive coaching, support groups, and retreats. Visit radtalkwithtracy.com. Check out our services and sign up for the one that's right for you. I think in our society, there's no place for lament. Mm. There's no space for grief. 
I think one of the reasons that is, is that people are uncomfortable because it like, you don't want that to happen to you. If you're sad right. and you like, yeah, it makes it too close to me. Like, I don't want to have to deal with my own grief and nobody doesn't like a happy ending. Right. We want to say, okay, you're sad, but yeah, but this happened. You know, like I remember, yeah. um, a, a, I've told this story before a lady said to me, I really, uh, you know, in my faith tradition, she came up to me at church and goes, I can't wait to see how what God's going to do in this situation. And I went home and I smiled sweetly. And then I went home and laid on my bed and thought nothing. He's st- and then I have a, I have a strong faith. <laughs> I, it's not that I, what, what has God done? Like, I remember thinking to myself yeah. and being kind of angry and yep. grieving and that's okay. And that's so okay. That's okay. That's so okay. Yeah. Um, it's just, it, there's so many layers of the sadness and grief and what you didn't expect in life that because of the nature of the kind of mothering we do, we don't get a lot of time to reflect. We just have to keep going to the next thing and the next thing, putting out the, the fires um, constantly Yeah, that I do think it can build up like that. And yeah. Actually, it's interesting you say that because just like a year, um, a few months ago, I was on a hike with a friend and I was talking to her about that moment when, when they asked me to pick up Claire Grace. And I said, you know, I got teary thinking about it. And I said, I wish I could go back to Amy and say, and the, the words that came out of my mouth were these, I wish I could, I wish I could forgive that Amy. And I didn't know those words were coming out. I, that was not what I intended to say. Right. And I remember her turning around and going, why? What do you feel like you need to forgive yourself for? And that struck me. Okay. I haven't worked through this. I thought I had. Right. I still somehow think it was my fault somehow. And I just like, those words were not what I thought was coming out. And that's what. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It's interesting. It, it runs deep. It It runs all those feelings running. And like you say, yeah, I mean, uh, feelings are awkward and (laughs) for most people, right. Especially Mm -hmm. those sensitive times, like death, just anything that's awkward people, you know, including myself, (laughs) sometimes I don't know, you don't know what to say or what to do. And then it's easier just to not, not do not say anything or offer platitudes. I always tell people, you just need to say, I'm sorry. I don't understand it, but I am so sorry. Yes. Yeah. And no judgment. Right. Cause I think if someone can say that, that takes the, the weight off of me trying to have to go, okay, well, here's why I'm feeling like, I used to feel like I used to have a PowerPoint. Here's all the reasons why my daughter needs to be in treatment. Right. It's all the reasons that I have to be this way around. Like Mm -hmm. that's really nobody's business. Right. But you have to have that at the ready to prove yourself, right. Or support yourself or not look like this bad guy Mm -hmm. that you sound like, or act like. Yeah. 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 Wow. And you mentioned something else too. And I don't know if this is something we want to talk about, but something about Yvonne and how his physical disability helped him. Was that the piece that because people could see it, it made it easier. And here's another interesting thing, you know, being, if you think about adoption, if you've lived in an orphanage for 10 years, the kid who lies the best is going to be the kid that's not beaten or is going to get the most food or whatever. So he had a really strong, uh, back to survival, survival. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I know some kids steal, he wasn't much, boy, he could charm just about anybody. And to go in and say, no, this isn't true. What he's telling you, because he's so charming. Mm -hmm. Very believable. He learned to be very Believable. believable. Yeah. Right. Right. So he, um, you know, it's really sad though, when I think about how, hard it is to watch our kids not be able to actually have real relationship. Oh, so hard. So hard. We're the moms that maybe you find this too, but I find that I'm the mom watching my children or child in, in social situations. Mm -hmm. And they're the, the lonely kid on the field or the one that nobody wants to play with, or they're getting in fights and it's hard to, to see that. And to see them struggle. Yeah. I mean, that's not, that's just one situation, but we're those moms. Right. A couple of years ago, we had planned this, this week. We live near Chicago. I live in Michigan and two of my boys live in Chicago. So we planned this. Let's all go over to Chicago for the weekend. Let's go see the Christmas lights. It's a whole thing. And I knew that I needed to plan. Grace was not living with us at the time, but plan 
around Yvonne, like, first yeah. of all, his physical disability, he can't just hop on and off the subway very easily and all that stuff. So I, right. I planned for that. I planned for space. So we weren't constantly going. Like I, I thought I had done everything to make it a successful yes. beginning. It was a disaster. <laughs> and I was so mad. Mm. I was so mm-hmm. mad. And when I talked to the therapist, she said, you're too much for him. Your family's too much for him because he can see he doesn't know how to get to where you are. And it just struck me. Like we think that, okay, out in public, obviously they struggle, but they, and obviously they struggle at home, Yeah. but even all the stuff we do, if they can't make that bridge over to relationship, there's going to be behavior. Yeah. And that kind of helped me like, okay, there's no matter what I do, there's going to be behavior. (laughs) And that's a lowering of my expectations that kind of helped me. Yeah. That's another thing we talk about. I talk Mm -hmm. about with a lot of other moms where I hear uh, other moms saying the same thing. It's lowering your standards and expectations. Yeah. Yeah. I remember reading about narcissists. This was way back in uh, my psych days. And I remember that was a moment where they said, just lower your standards. Don't expect Mm -hmm. anything from them. And then you won't be disappointed. Not that we don't expect anything from our kids, but just lower what you expect. And then it can tame that anger and frustration a little bit and help you not get your hopes up or expect things that aren't going to happen. And then that disappointed, that hope, despair, hope, despair cycle. Uh, Yeah. And I think it also helps the worst case scenario state we're constantly in. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, Grace doesn't, Claire, Grace, my two kids don't live here anymore, but I still find myself sometimes thinking the worst thing is going to happen. Yeah. Something bad's going to happen. Oh, and I have to get everything done. So I think that that's a hard mindset to get out of too. And I think lowering your expectations um, helps that mindset too. Yeah. It's so hard to get out of it. It's so hard. No, we're always living in a, I don't know what's going to happen next, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's always, is it going to be door number one, two, or three? Mm -hmm. And we don't know until it happens. And sometimes the things that happen are things that you couldn't even have thought would happen. Right. And I find that always anxiety provoking, or it helps us to live in that PTSD mode or that mm-hmm. high anxiety state, because we'll go on a vacation and kids are interacting with cousins and then you're around family or other people. And the most bizarre, it, it goes back to not being able to function in a relationship appropriately, those social skills and, um, and, uh, intimacy and, and just even how to interact. Uh, that's what it made me think of is just, it took me back to always feeling like, I don't know what's going to happen. And it could be a, B or C, but it could also be something that I don't even know. And it's going to come at a moment when I least expect it. And that's, that's 24 hours a day. Right. And that's exhausting. It is you like when you don't know what's going to happen. I like, I want to go back to that wheelchair ramp analogy. If you know, okay, they, they're not going to be able to lowering your expectations that there's probably going to be an issue, I think makes things, I mean, it's never easy to deal with stuff like that, but it makes it less, um, it makes it less disheartening when it does happen. Maybe. Right. One of the practices that I, uh, have done over and over again, actually two, one is I always call it small moment living where I, I would go through and just write down little, I mean, minuscule things Yeah. <laughs> every day on a calendar, you know, took this kid, older kid to get ice cream or, or was able to sit in the car before they came running out, you know, whatever it was. Right. And when I started keeping track of that, I could go back and go, you know what, in the midst of all of this life and good life is still happening right. in the midst of all these really hard situations. Right. But a gratitude me, process. Almost. Yeah, I just Let's needed to like write down because sometimes with my other kids, I think, oh, are they just getting the raw end of the deal here? But when I go back and look, I see, yeah, no, we had good um, moments. We had good moments. Yeah. Um, so I think that that is a helpful practice because when you're always, I, th- I always think of that in a war movie, when, when, when a soldier's on guard and he's, it's at night and he's got his gun and he's like darting around looking to see when the enemy's going to, that's what it feels like all the time. All the time. (laughs) Yeah. All the, and I like that you created that gratitude process because that is huge, not just for rad moms, but for anybody in Mm -hmm. life. Uh, And it made me think of, you were talking about 
moments that you've had by keeping kind of that gratitude list or those list of wins and good moments that you, you could look back and see, Hey, we really did have good moments. I remember, I don't know if you ever felt this way, Amy, but I remember feeling like when we would do big things, there would always be some kind of meltdown and fight after or tantrum or meltdown. And it was ugly again. And it was always after big things. And I remember thinking every time like, oh my gosh, this is how they're going to remember this moment. Every big monumental moment, like, you know, driving to San Diego to pick up a dog and driving home should be really fun and exciting, but it was a disaster and it was horrible. And then I would always think this is what they're going to remember. This is how they're going to remember it every time. So I love even having that list of moments that maybe you can even talk about with your kids. I don't know. I think that would have made me feel better because I got stuck thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm ruining or every moment is ruined. Mm -hmm. This is how they're going to remember all their monumental moments in life. And it's not going to be happy and it should be right. Right. Rad talk listeners. It's time to mark your calendars. The second annual Navigating Rad Conference is happening this fall in Atlanta, Georgia from October 7th to 9th. You won't want to miss it. Visit radadvocates.org to register. I think too, it helps with the, well, it must be nice because, you know, like sometimes you can't do the big thing that other moms can do. Right. So when you make it small, you know, that helps. One of the best pieces of advice. Now I have non-rad kids too. And I remember taking the three of them to therapy and my oldest said, mom, every time we go anywhere, you have to leave. And so we would like to do stuff without the rad kids. And I remember thinking, but that's not my idea of family. We're all going to be together all the time. And so that was, and I remember the therapist going, it's okay to do stuff without them. I mean, yeah. they, they usually do good for a caregiver, honestly. Right. Yeah, first or second time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you've got a, you've got a couple of good opportunities <laughs> before it goes sour. Right? So that was like a mindset shift Yeah. in my brain. We're all together. One big, happy family. Yeah. Um, my kids always say, whenever I go, we're one big, happy family. Usually nothing's happy at that moment. <laughs> but my point is I started doing stuff with the older kids and yeah. I'm so glad I let go of that expectation. Yeah. That we all had to be together. Good that you're therapist and you recognize that and good mm-hmm. that you just went for it because mm-hmm. I, you know, I talked with another mom and she had a, um, an ice cream day and she it was always ice cream Tuesday, I think. And they did the exact same thing. They took mm-hmm. that time away and her and her bonded kids could just spend time together without all that other staff and have their right. time, their special time. It's mm-hmm. a lot about changing and shifting your mindset, isn't it? It's about, you know, your reality as a parent, your expectations, a lot of letting go. And it is a process. It doesn't happen overnight because you almost have to get over all of these things and your own expectations and mm-hmm. wants and you know, that ideal life, whatever that is for you, you have to work through that at your own pace to finally get to that point where you can just accept what it is. Right. And I think I'm always, I think the rest of my life, I'll be dealing with that. Um, Mm -hmm. I think the rest of my life, I will be trying to understand that. And um, I think so will every kid in this house, the non-rad kids and the rad kids. So that's just part of it. I started out going, no guys, come on. You didn't grow up in an orphanage. Like I have really compassionate, loving, caring adult kids. And they Mm. were as teenagers. So to allow them to have their voice and go and say what they really thought instead of making them feel bad because they have typical brains. Right. I made that mistake. I made that mistake initially and I stopped doing that. And I think that has forged a really strong relationship now with me, with the other kids, because just allowing them to be real and get real with not only going through this, but they're watching their mom Yeah. in our fan, in our case, in a lot of cases, they're watching their mom yeah. be abused. Yeah. And they get it. They know mm-hmm. they get it. Mm-hmm. I could see how that would be very powerful. Just letting them be real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Did you want to touch on puberty? How's that going? I know that a lot of listeners, including <laughs> myself, we were kind of there a while back and now, um, but is that something that you 
would like to chat about yeah, how that well, experience can, has been for you. <laughs> puberty, whether you're a rad kid or not, is oh, like, <laughs> right? like I said, I would, I would gladly change places and potty train anybody's <laughs> child if they yeah. do the puberty piece. <laughs> just constantly. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I guess what I would say for my rad kids is there's such a fear of it coming. Yeah. <laughs> so I would say my, I used to have my grandma used to say, now don't borrow trouble. <laughs> just like, wait till it happens. That's great. <laughs> so don't borrow trouble. There's such a mm. fear of it coming. So that would be the first thing I'd say. Puberty does escalate the um, issues um, for sure, for sure. And it's also, there's a higher risk of some of that behavior, you know, especially as they are able to get pregnant or, you know, those kinds of things. So um, one of the things I think that I was not prepared for, I haven't talked to my youngest daughter yet. Um, She is not a rad kid adopted. She's been just a typical kid until she hit puberty. Mm-hmm. What I did not know is that I would not call her. She's not rad, but she hit puberty same time the pandemic happened and she, her whole personality flipped. And, um, what I did not know is that those attachment issues, like I would say she's healthily attached to us, mm-hmm. but the issues of being adopted, being black kid in a white family, there's a lot of attachment stuff. She just hasn't worked through. Right. And so her whole, be- her whole personality changed. She became angry. She became yeah. depressed, suicidal, self-harming, running away. And she lived with siblings that were rad right? siblings. So I think, am I, I wasn't prepared, even though she was my sixth kid and you think, okay, puberty's coming. Something's <laughs> yeah. going to happen. Right. I just don't think I was prepared for the amount of mental health struggle mm. that she's had. And probably because she's been the easiest adopted kid, she just probably flew under the radar for so right. long because, you know, that's easy to do when people are out of control. Other it's siblings are out of control. So easy. So in that situation, that's been really hard because I wasn't yeah. expecting that one. Um, so I don't, I don't have any like words of wisdom on that, except no. that I just have to each day, just like, okay, this is the day. And this is what's ahead of me. Yeah. And I have to respect that her sadness and her behavior, it's hard to understand being a sibling to two rad kids. Yeah. And also her, her attached siblings are adults and out of the house. And also it's hard to, some kids really have a hard time working through adoption. Right. Puberty is hard enough, right? It is. Yeah. And then, you know, in our experience, it definitely escalated a lot of the rad behaviors, Mm -hmm. That's where I think we saw bigger blowouts, more Mm -hmm. self-harming, just really big, big, big meltdowns. We, we saw some um, with our son, some over really inappropriate behavior with girls because he Mm. didn't understand. First of all, English was his second language. So you're in the locker room and you hear boys saying things about girls, right? No boy should say first of all, but that's how it is. And then he goes out and says it in the hallway mm-hmm. <laughs> or teacher. <laughs> You're just, just like, like okay. nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and him and not understanding, wait a minute. He didn't understand place and time. First of all, right. it's never right. But you right. Know, still. <laughs> so we had to deal with a lot of that kind of stuff. Oh, it's hard. It's so hard. And then everybody's on a computer. Yeah. I, we always say we're old school. I wish we could just hand them a book, but so that's a whole nother opportunity. You feel yeah. like you're, I don't know the prison warden with the computer all the time because right. of the trouble they can get into with that. So I'm thinking you- about your situation and just like it, we talk about it so lightly, but the embarrassment and then <laughs> having to try and explain yourself out of that and your kid out of that. <laughs> oh yeah. And we've also had some racial, racial issues because uh, he heard other kids say racial terms and then he would say it. And I would call and go, you know, he's got black sisters, right? Like, mm. you know, like, cause you're thinking, what is this school bus driver thinking of right. me? Know me at all. Right. <laughs> and it goes back to that PowerPoint list you were talking about. Let me explain, right? I'm going to yeah. pull out my list and tell you my story. Like, Exhibit A, here's my oldest son. <laughs> college, like he's like a normal person. <laughs> exactly. I look back now. I remember um, one of my um, friends from graduate school. I remember she was talking about and typical family, you know, and she was, her biggest fear was that 
her, I can't remember if it was her son or her daughter had, they'd been driving past a park bench and instead of bench, she said the B word. And that's what she was (laughs) calling the bench. But that was what was mortifying to my friend and rightly so I'm not taking anything away from anybody, but I look back at that now and think, oh girl, (laughs) (laughs) well, the other, the other plus side of having kids that do those kinds of things is my bio kids and my attached kids. They're like, mom, when we would get like when they're in college or something would happen, nothing phases me. You know, I'm like, you know, it's not that big of a deal. I've dealt with this over here. Exactly. (laughs) So it it worked in their favor that way. I bet. That's (laughs) hilarious. Yeah. You know, let's just problem solve through this. No biggie. Yeah. (laughs) I'm really not phased by much. No, there was not one thing you can tell me that I will be shocked at. No, no. Because I think we're afraid to say out loud, my child did this thing. Yeah. So that you can tell me I'm not going to be shocked and I'm not going to judge because trust me, it's either happened to me or yeah. I know someone it's happened to. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> and, you know, I was thinking about Karen Poitra. She was saying, um, and I really liked this, that when you see a mom struggling, like even if it is the screaming kid, her advice was to rather than judge and think, oh, what are they doing at home? Or that mom doesn't know, look how she's letting them just tantrum. And in the middle of the store, she said, go up to that parent and say, you know, are you okay? Can I help you? Maybe not. Are you Mm -hmm. okay? But how can I help you? Or even just a, a gentle glance that isn't judging, but something, it goes back to those awkward social situations. What do I do in this moment? It's awkward, right? Especially as a bystander. But I think at the very least, her best advice was just no judgment. And that right. in itself can help in that moment. Cause we're talking about all these things and they're funny and they're, but they're in the moment, they're really embarrassing. You, you know, some of the things you were saying that what are they going to think of me? We have, we go on the defense, like, no, I'm really a good parent. I have kids Mm -hmm. that are bonded and healthy and make good Mm -hmm. choices and don't say inappropriate things, but it's mortifying for a friend of mine to hear her daughter say the B word instead of bench. So imagine Mm -hmm. the magnitude of things that we experience in public with our kids and what, how magnify that embarrassment and shame and isolation and feeling of judgment a hundred times or a thousand times. And that's what it feels like. So it definitely does. And I think if you get that idea of shame in your head, I don't know, some people are like, you know, really forceful and can go in and take control of the situation. But if you're more of a laid back person, which I am, I, I got that idea in my head. So I was a little bit timid at first with principals and teachers. And then I thought, you know what they're, I have to let them know what's going yep. on. Yeah. So then I have an advocate in the room. Um, they may not understand it. And so I think the further along I've gotten on this, I've gotten on this journey. I am able to be a lot more just matter of fact Yeah. and not going, you know, I really am a good mom, but da, 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 you know, it's yeah. just matter of fact, like if, it is. if that child had diabetes, I would say, yes, Here's the deal. They need this. They need this. They need their blood sugar checked. Like I just have exactly. to look at it that way. And I know that p- the world doesn't look at it that way because they uh-uh. see behavior. But if I can look at it that way, yeah. that protects me from that feeling like I'm always having to defend myself, I think. Right. Well, and I'm always saying rad is real. And sometimes you are the only expert or advocate in the room. Right. And mm-hmm. so you have to go in with that confidence and just report it as it is. But there's certain times during that rad experience where that's impossible to do because you're, you're not in that place of confidence and strength, but that's a good reminder for sure. And people also think, have this idea that love is enough. Oh, love is wonderful. It changes yeah. us. But, but that idea that, well, wh- why are they acting this way? They, they live in a great yeah. home. They're fed. They have their own room. <laughs> they go on oh vacation. Like, yeah, you just, you don't understand that. That's, no. that's, I think that's probably the biggest misunderstanding that I've yeah. come across. And behind the scenes, I'm always talking about like the iceberg under the water that people mm-hmm. don't see is that if you meet a rad parent, or I'm sure even special needs, Amy, that you can guarantee that they have done and have tried and researched everything out there Mm -hmm. beyond the specialty of a physician or a therapist. I mean, so if you're looking at that situation, that's a shift in mindset for people on the outside that 
don't experience living and raising children with reactive attachment disorder. But if you're looking at that person, you can guarantee that they have done and tried it all. And they're still trying. There is nothing they have not thought about nobody they haven't talked to or that they're not already working on getting set up with. And you don't see that you just see this parent struggling. And we go into those like, Oh, judgments and mm -mm, no, my therapist told me once that I should say my daughter has rad and fetal alcohol syndrome and a really short, like elevator pitch. And then say, if you would like to know more about it, I'd love to sit down with you. And then if people aren't willing to do that, then they don't need to know all the things. That's right. And I, that freed me up a lot because sometimes that would great acquaintancy friends that would want to weigh in. And then I would be able to think, you know what? They can't weigh in. They haven't taken the time to learn about this. That's right. I love that. Just even there, there's that confidence and you know what? You can't weigh in because you don't know. And we just have to cut it off right there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And friends need reminded of that. I just said to a friend the other day, I put my hand up and said, talking (laughs) about my youngest, she doesn't need to have like a day with me at the spa. Right. She's dealing with adoption trauma. So right. Because she started to say, here's what I think she needs. And I'm like, uh-uh. <laughs> uh-uh. I know. And it all comes from a good place. But you do have to have those boundaries and say, Mm-mm. and And just one more thing I want to add is that yeah. I have a, a, a son that's married. My daughter, Anna, is getting married this summer. And I have some articles because when you join someone into your family, they don't understand what in the world's going on. Right. And um, so- that's one thing I did with my daughter-in-law. I'm like, I know that you won't be around Claire Grace that much, but I need you to read these articles so you can understand where our family is coming from. Yeah. And that is really helpful to the people we add to our family through marriage, which that's some, for some, a lot of your listeners that's way down the road, but I'm so glad I've done that because thanks for never, sharing that because yeah. that's huge. We think it's about huge. giving it to teachers. Mm-hmm. But you don't think about necessarily those other people joining your family through marriage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much for sharing that. Very helpful. Yeah. Well, I love that you are where you are. And thank you so much for sharing all those pieces of your story. I know each rad story could be about 10 episodes. <laughs> yeah. Right. And it's hard to get to the heart of it, but everything that you've shared has really, uh, I know, inspired a lot of people and helped as well. Well, I'm so glad to be here. I, my heart is for moms with rad. I just, it's such a lonely road. <laughs> it's such a lonely road. Yeah. And thanks for sharing your story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Amy. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone, and I hope you'll be back to listen to future episodes. If you like the show, please subscribe and help me spread the word by clicking share and like. If you're a parent who needs more support, whether it's for you or your family, please check out my website at radtalkwithtracy.com and visit radadvocates.org.